No matter how well you think you know Nantucket, you will no doubt learn a few things you didn't know reading Peter Brace's book, Nantucket, A Natural History. Peter Brace joins us from the Linda Loring Nature Foundation on Nantucket. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Mindy. Now, you've done a lot of environmental reporting over the years, so not a surprise uh, that this type of book would appeal to you. Not at all. And, and uh, really just uh, like I do in my talks, I sort of open and, and talk about how the book was, how it came to concept. And really, I, I had done a thing for the Nantucket Independent, the now defunct Nantucket Independent, called Our Natural World, and written about 95% of that special publication in the summer of 2006. When that came out, after that came out, Several people, including the executive director of the Nantucket Conservation Foundation, Jim Lentowski, uh, my managing editor for the book, Dick Duncan, uh, Nat Philbrick, and uh, a guy named West Tiffany's, the late West Tiffany's um, widow, Susan Beagle. West Tiffany, if some Nantucketers know, he was the co-founder of the UMass Field Station. They saw that publication and thought, wow. He could do the natural history book that we want to have done. And, and I heard through—go ahead. And, and what's great about it is that, as you say, your your background's really more reporting as a journalist. And, and so you're not a biologist, but you, you have everybody's voices in there. So you kind of gather all this information, and then we hear a lot of different voices throughout the book. I needed those voices because, yes, I'm not a biologist, and I needed them to back me up, you know, what I knew, what my— I wrote for two newspapers, The Independent and the, and the Nantucket Beacon, and I was the environmental reporter, and I made contact with a lot of people who were in the book when I was reporting. So I got a background of biology and the natural world. So that gave me, I, I think that gave me the credibility among that crowd mm-hmm. to, uh, to, number one, write the book, uh, and number two, to go to them and ask them, you know, the smart questions and the dumb questions. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it's great because you, you, I mean, you really give us the whole natural history here and you start with the actual formation of Nantucket. Yeah. It, it, it was really no way, other way to go about it. Dick had had me to lunch two years later and asked me, you know, put, put it to me, do you want to do this book? And I'm like, well, of course, mm-hmm. you know, how could I say no? Back then, actually, I, 2006, I was actually trying to come up with ways to, excuses to get out of it because I had spent the whole summer writing that that publication and really didn't want to be indoors the whole time writing. But two years later, the paper had been bought by Gatehouse New England, and I decided that more writing was better than no writing, and I didn't know what was going to happen to the paper. So he said, well, how do you think it would go? How do you think you would write it? And I'm like, well, I mean, how how else? It's got to be chronological. we got to start from the beginning. we got to lay the canvas out. Okay, so give us the beginning, the, just sort of the, the you know summary of the beginning, if you will. Well, the summary of the beginning, you know, this entire area, everything, where the Elizabeth Islands are, where the vineyard is, where Block Island is, where Nantucket is, and all the way out to the edge of the continental shelf, 75, 50 miles, depending on which direction you're heading, it was all a coastal plain. Trees, rivers, ponds, hills, animals, it was all, I don't know how flat it was, I don't know the exact topography, but that was dry land. The glacier came down from the St. Lawrence region of Canada, uh, the Laurentide ice sheet, moved down and covered the, uh, covered the area as much as it could. Its furthest reach was 21,000 years ago. And then it was recently determined, and this is a thing that I couldn't include in the book because I didn't have the, the data, the proof, 
about a month after the book came out on NPR, on your show, or on someone's show at CAI, I heard that the reason for the glacier to recede was, you guessed it, global warming. A global warming event, they couldn't, you know, the release of carbon, they could not nail it down specifically, but they that's what it was. So uh, the glacier started to recede, it moved forward and then came back depending on what the climate was, but... As the glacier went, then it dropped the uh, water all over the place. The water flowed out to the ocean. The ocean came up 300 feet till about 7,500 years ago when the water was filling the basins of Vineyard Sound and Nantucket Sound and to eventually create our island about 6,000 years ago. So we had Nantucket at about that time. The biodiversity of Nantucket is really amazing. Uh, you quote chemical oceanographer Dr. Sarah Ukte talking about the latitudinal and longitudinal location that puts Nantucket on a north-south floristic division. She says, quote, So we've got the furthest southern reach of many northern species and the further northern reach of many southern species, the influence of the Gulf Stream that brings a lot of creatures up here, the influence of the buffering having ocean water around us that means a lot of northern Northern species are able to be here and be comfortable at our location. So you have 50 square miles of really many habitats. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I, it's happenstance. I mean, I don't, I mean, I know how it happened. Why? I guess what that does is it makes all of the creatures that live here highly adaptable. Not just the creatures, but I mean, the, the fauna, as you say, as well. And, and we're going to talk about some of those uh, uh, interesting aspects of Nantucket. Uh, your book is a Nantucket, A Natural History. Uh, Peter Brace is the author. Uh, Peter, um, interesting discovery made in the winter of 2008-09, river otters at Clark Cove and Hammock Pond. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, uh, there was uh, the tracks uh, of otters and what they call sliding marks because they slide around on their bellies a lot down uh, embankments and um, over mud and sometimes over sand and also this clear white jelly that comes from the excuse me but the anal glands of the otters it's a way of communication discovered uh, at Clark Cove and I believe Sacacha and the tracks were confirmed by a guy which I don't think I concluded his name in the book and I can't conjure it right now but a, a a noted um, certified animal tracker. Uh, and they're uh, on the vineyard and on no man's land, the little island that's about nine miles off the vineyard. A woman named Leanne Johnson was studying them at the time and based her master's thesis on them. So they could just swim great distances, according to Leanne. And it's quite possible, she said, that a male could have come over here thinking that there might be other otters and wanted to check it out. And, and became one poor lonely little otter. <laughs> because yeah, we, don't, we don't see evidence of them anymore, right? It was just that, just that little time frame there. Well, I had heard and, and also I'd read on Facebook of people who were shooting the otters. Oh, I don't boy. know if that's true. Otters that may have interrupted with their fishing or uh, maybe shell fishing. I don't know, but... Mm -hmm. uh, Nope, no more otters on Nantucket yeah. that we know of. And uh, this is a, a question we have a lot of times is, how did this get here? Whether it's, you know, the, as we say, the flora, the fauna, the, or the, the critters. Um, and well-meaning people have influenced the wildlife of the island. We have the turkeys and the deer and jackrabbits brought to the island by the Nantucket Hunt Club in 1926 because they were considered preferable to foxes. 
Right. Well, preferable to foxes because foxes will go after chickens, and chickens was a um, economic factor at that time. And so, what are you going to do? You know, rabbits are going to run away, and the foxes are going to be foxes and go after the chickens. And rabbits, a particular type of rabbit, the jackrabbit, that will just run right to the water or run away, uh, I guess, faster than other rabbits. And yes, the deer, uh, a deer swimming from the vineyard. Well, not actually, swimming the direction toward Nantucket from the vineyard. Definitely don't think it was, it was definitely from the vineyard. I don't know where else it would have been coming from. Maybe it swam out from Nantucket. But at that time in 1922, there weren't any deer on Nantucket. They'd been shot out by the European settlers, by the Native Americans that had lived here uh, before. And so a fishing vessel coming from south up the Muskegon Channel picked up the deer, brought it to Nantucket. Uh, they let it go in Sconset. Then the Italian, the American ambassador to Italy, Breckenridge Long, who I believe had a house here, brought two does from Michigan and let them go. And then the next record I found was 1935, an article in uh, the Boston Herald that said we had a hunting season. The population of deer was 280, and there you go. Yeah, now they're everywhere. <laughs> now they're everywhere. I, I, yeah, and it's interesting because um, the same thing with the turkeys. Uh, I don't know that y- your turkey population is as bad as the vineyards, but when in the Cape, too, we have these wild turkeys, so-called wild. They aren't, they're, they're, I guess, were domestic at some point, and somebody brought them to the island. Well, we have a couple of cases like that, but I don't think it's like, I, mean, I certainly haven't seen them myself, but I've heard stories of them. I know someone who out in, in the Pulpus area who was given a gift of several turkeys, and then the tur- turkeys basically go feral. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to either raise them to eat or they're your barnyard pets or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're a heritage breed. And I've also heard out in Matticut, but not so much that, you know, when you go for a walk in the moors and go yes, somewhere that you're going to, chances are, see turkeys. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Uh, and then um, we're not sure how the squirrels found their way there. Uh, common lore is that uh, they came over on a lumber truck. They came over with uh, uh, firewood. Uh, you know, they may have, I mean, it's it, it's a little far for them to swim. Right. Um, same with the chipmunks and uh and all those things were here. I mean, when the water came up 6,000 years ago, we had the complement, we had representations of pretty much everything, uh, but limited supply. Right. And as uh, the Native Americans, which were here when the Nantucket became, a, when Nantucket became an island, um, I'm sure they hunted what they needed to, to live on. And I'm sure that as the population of Native Americans grew and the the hunger developed and then the Europeans came, the populations of our, what they call middle mammals, of which we don't have very many, went down and and things disappeared. Yes, it's because there's mammal predators that we see on the Cape not found on the island, Um, you know, so like coyotes. uh, You don't have raccoons either, do you? Skunks, raccoons? Do you have raccoons and skunks? We don't have raccoons. I have a friend. I won't mention her name. Who has Um, a skunk? Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> she she said that she saw a raccoon on the island um, maybe five years ago, and I, I think it was a large cat. I just don't yeah. believe that. Or maybe someone had a pet. It's possible. Right. But we don't have raccoons or woodchucks or skunks or opossums or porcupines. Any of that. So, Bears, yeah, none so, of that stuff. So you really, I mean, it was really uh, a struggle. Strong, the strong survive, I guess, in, in this case, and we, we see that around the island, or have been reintroduced. And it's a great little story about the, uh, the Muskeget vole. Tell us that, that story. 
Well, the Muskegee vole was the meadow vole, was a cousin of the meadow vole, and of course at one time, Tuckernuck and Muskegon and Nantucket and the vineyard and all of the islands, as the water was coming up, were, were connected. And maybe at one time they were connected at low tide, but then the tide would come up and gradually, 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 um, there was no connection until you had a bunch of meadow voles stranded on this new island, Muskegon, and they according to the biologists, adapted over time, adapted to surviving almost exclusively on the new shoots of beach grass and adapted to producing just enough young that could survive. So the beach vole, um, believed to be uh, the only endemic species in Massachusetts, but then I guess there are various people that are trying to refute that. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, we're talking with Peter Brace. His book is Nantucket, A Natural History. Let's talk a little bit about the sand plain grasslands and, and how they came to be. There's some, some really interesting flora and fauna here that we don't find very many places left now in the world. Well, we have it here on Nantucket as well as Tarkanuk and over on Martha's Vineyard. And it used to extend a, a swath from here down to the vineyard, uh, a little bit on Block Island, and then down along Long Island on the southern shore on the what they call the outwash plain and the outwash plain was when the glacier was melting and re- and receding all that water was flowing in rivers basically across the land and out to the edge of the continental shelf and if you look at a if you look at an underwater, underwater map of the continental shelf you'll see all these cuts into the edge of the shelf called the canyons and that's where the water just ran down the edge of the shelf and into the ocean back here on Nantucket and on on the vineyard to some extent I'm sure uh, the remnants of those uh, streams became ponds uh, that filled in and the area that from the from the uh, glacier out to the shore got smoothed over Lots of sand, lots of fine particles, uh, and covered with prairie-like flowers, grasses, and then a lot of some of the stuff was already here, um, and then a lot of species migrated from actually the prairies. And the botanists, a lot of them believe that a thing called the Prairie Peninsula, which was a just a you know a swath of Prairie plants migrated as far as eastern Ohio, and if you looked on a, at a map, it would just look like a giant round, maybe thumb jutting up toward the you know the northeast. And over time, you know, uh, dispersal by wind uh, carried on the backs of animal animals. Maybe the animal eats a certain plant and then gets to a certain place and defecates, and that plant establishes itself and. Um, over time, those plants leapfrogged and made it all the way out to Nantucket, mm-hmm. according to the botanists. So, yeah. And, of course, birds. I mean, uh, you get a, especially migrating birds. You're, you're in a position there where you see a lot of different migrating birds. So that would explain how some of those uh, plants establish themselves as well, because obviously these birds have been visiting for many, 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 many moons. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's also how we got our, uh, one of the ways, most likely ways we got our salt, salt marsh grasses, our cord grasses caked um, in mud to the uh, legs and bodies of of, uh, various shorebirds that come here. So, yeah, you know, we got what we got based on 
Totally random. Yeah, and what an interesting mix it turned out to be. And one of the great things, uh, conservation protection has been key to keeping much of the island uh, existing in its wild state. And this was something, you got to go kudos to those who who started this way back when, because this has been really uh, instrumental in keeping Nantucket the way it is. Well, it it, it is, but it's a sort of a, um, it's a bit of a paradox because... We're keeping it the way it is, but it's the way it is because of humans, not so much. Mm. Uh, not Mother so much nature, not. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a, a term, a climax or primary forest, which is what happens when you just let everything go and um, a certain species takes over. And what that forest would be would be American beach. Uh, the botanists believe. Nashon Island to the west of uh, the vineyard, the largest in the Elizabeth chain, uh, is almost entirely forested. Not much of it's cut down. It's all old growth American beach. Uh, and so that would have been what we would have had uh, had we let it go, but we didn't. We we did all kinds of things. You know, we, we we had we cut down all the trees to build houses and boats and have fuel for fires and you know then we had sheep and the sheep kept everything at bay and then the sheep you know, the whaling industry faltered people left there was the California gold rush uh, this American Civil War the island was depleted of people the economy went down not as many sheep so then the scrub oak came up and then people brought pitch pine. And Japanese black pine to the island for for uh, windbreaks. Uh, so a lot of stuff was brought here. A lot of stuff was changed and manipulated. So it's kind of when I hear when you hear someone say, you know, Nantucket is the way it was, and we have our conservation organizations preserve every, everything the way it was. We're kind of preserving something that that we had a large hand in in, in making. Yeah. Just want to make yeah, that clear. It's a good point. Um, and you didn't mention DDT. Uh, yeah, DDT. We had a, like the pretty much the rest of the country, a large program of um, moth suppression. In fact, there was a moth suppression department within the town just to suppress the tussock moth and eventually the um, tent caterpillar moth and uh, mosquitoes and the moths just eating uh, hardwood tree plant uh, leaves. Uh, just for just for aesthetics, mm. the moths weren't causing any harm to humans. They just people just wanted to look at their trees, and the island was sprayed with a twelve percent solution of DDT in water, with planes overflying the island. In some cases, helicopters in smaller areas that maybe the planes couldn't get to, and that you know. Yes, the, the moth was wiped out along yeah. with a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot of, of other things as well. One of the interesting points that you have in the book is um, the different theories about the regal fritillary butterfly, which was pretty common before 1889. And even though we've seen other um, species sort of reintroduced or you know their populations grow, the, 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 what they like is there, but we aren't seeing a return of this butterfly. Yeah, you know, and I... Uh, there was there was reports of it maybe being out at the airport because there's a, a, vi- a species of violet that they like and that still grows on the island. Uh, it's hard to say what what took them out. Um, you know, it could be, you know, just one. It could be lack of food. Could could it could have been a period of time when the violets just weren't there for enough time to bring the population low enough that it couldn't recover. <clears throat> you know, there was a time when the 
um, Muskegon vole population just disappeared on on Muskegon and disappeared. I mean, by no one could find any. That doesn't mean there were any weren't any there, but the population could have been so low that it it was struggling to to maintain itself, maintaining a breeding population. Now a bunch of guys went over to an island that doesn't exist anymore in that area, and brought a bunch of voles. Um, over to Muskegon to reestablish re them. Mm -hmm. uh, so the regal fritterly, I, I I'm not that I'm not the know. full expert on that. Yeah. Well, one of the other things I found interesting: 148 species of lichens on Nantucket. That's amazing. I, I mean, I've seen, I've been there and seen some of it, but I didn't realize 148 species. That's a lot. Yeah, and it's it's uh, spread all over the island, and uh, depending on the lichens' uh, needs. Um, yeah, you you. It's not something that that people are going out and looking unless they're a you know a biologist doing research um, and maybe something that people take for granted you know there are some uh, lichens that only will only face north so you see houses covered with lichens on the north side and some some lichens want stones so those lichens are on uh, uh, gravestones mm -hmm. all over the place and then so many different shades mm -hmm. you know. I remember uh, uh, birding with Vern a couple years ago, and wherever we were in whatever group of forests, there woods, and the trees were just covered in it, and the wave of light, it almost looked like Emerald City. It was just so green. It was so beautiful. Can't tell you which kind of lichen that was, but it was gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about um, uh, a little bit of trivia that I found in the book. The cranberry, one of only three native fruit-bearing plants in the United States. Of course, you know what the other two are. Concord grape and blueberry. Yep. Interesting little factoid there. Uh, lots of little interesting factoids in the book. I mean, more so than we're going to able be able to get to uh, this morning. Uh, another interesting program: the the beetles were the first family of insects recorded on the island, and one beetle that disappeared and has been reintroduced is the American burying beetle. We did a program on this way back when, when this initiated, and it's working, right? It, it's working to the extent that as. Um, People from the Mariah Mitchell Association, uh, including my good friend and uh, island uh, insect expert, uh, Andrew McKenna Foster, and his uh, group of interns and other Mariah Mitchell people go out and find um, every year more and more American burying beetles uh, in the little traps. Uh, they put they put rotted chicken in, in a hole, and and then uh, they, uh, it's a certain way for the, for the uh, American burying beetle to get in there. And then they come out um, to these various places that they've marked with little flags and, and count the beetles. And it seems like it seems like they're going up every mm -hmm. year. In terms of, are they coming back enough to really contribute to what they are good for, which is processing the, the dead material of mm -hmm. of, uh, of animals? Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, one issue you have, like uh, like we see off Chatham, there are some conflicts between the seals and fishermen. As a matter of fact, fishing at the tip of Great Point, not so much anymore. Yeah, and not so much anymore, but, you know, what I learned was that we really did it to ourselves. Uh, you know, we, 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 we did away with the... Um, the killing of seals uh, and, and the bounty in 1962 to um, fishermen killing them because the seals went after the, after the fish that they were after, the ground fish that they were after. Then we instituted the, uh, we adopted the uh, Marine Mammals, Marine Mammal Protection Act in 1972 
making them a federally protected species. Uh, and, and we then, face course, this dilemma now. What do we do? Uh, yeah. What do we do? Well, there's a group of guys uh, called the Seal Abatement Coalition, uh, headed up by a friend of mine, uh, three friends of mine, uh, out in Sconset, and they are trying to um, soften the Marine Mammals Protection Act to allow humans to uh, be on the same be in the same space as the seals and not get in trouble. Basically, mm-hmm. go out there onto Great Point and you know wave their arms and hey, go away, we want to fish and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now that's not allowed. Right now that's not allowed. Okay. They've hired a lobbyist. Actually, the lobbyist is doing it pro bono because he is a fisherman himself. Uh, and yeah. in Almost. the long term, it's, I, I believe it's going to have an impact on Nantucket shoulder season. A lot of people come out here to fish for striped bass, mm-hmm. uh, uh, bonita and uh, Spanish mackerel and false albacore. And I know personally, you know, of maybe a dozen people that used to come out. There used to be hundreds of people on Great Point in the fall fishing, and now the the, the population of people that comes out here has just dropped because mm-hmm. if they can't go fish where they want to fish, go and if you've been else, to Great yeah. Point, you know mm-hmm. it's a special spot. And right. if you're kept from that, plus if you have the seals in the water that are taking your fish right off of your line, you're going to say, you know, Montauk Point mm-hmm. looks pretty good, or fishing in Montana, right. you know. Well, your last ch- chapter is on erosion, which, um, again, we all know <laughs> that the island is uh, slowly eroding away here. And it, although it'll be there in our lifetime, it, it's not expected to survive forever. Um, that's, I guess, the, you know, how beaches go, beaches come, beaches go. Um, but it, really, your, your takeaway message in this book is to get out there and explore this unique area and what it has to offer. Yeah, uh, I, I guess you just have to live here. You, know, you you have to spend more than a weekend here. I mean, if you're not the person that, that is into the outdoors, then you'll sort of pass it by. But how can you not? I mean, there's just so much here to explore. It doesn't look like much as you're flying over, but once you're down on the ground and you've walked a few times uh, in certain spots around the island, you get the spe- the, the sense of the, the breadth of the island, the, the diversity of the habitats, things you see going out day after day. Around this time last year, I got a dog. And she needs to be walked every day. And so I got into a good writing routine where I would get up at 6 every day and uh, be out on the trail by 6.30 and walk for 4 or 5 miles. And I walked all the walks in my uh, my first book, which was called Walking Nantucket, uh, Walker's Guide to Exploring Nantucket on Foot. And then I made up my own walks. And I'm still running across trails that I haven't been on before and things that I hadn't seen and... Yeah, I mean... There's a lot to see. Yeah, like you say, a lot of diversity. Uh, Peter Brace, his book is Nantucket, A Natural History. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mindy. It was a pleasure. I want to thank Vern Locks for production assistance at the Linda Loring Nature Foundation on Nantucket, which is where Peter joined us from. I'm Mindy Todd. Thanks for listening. The Point airs weekdays at 9.30 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. We're also on Facebook at The Point, WCAI. The Point is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. Production assistance from Dan Tridel. Theme music by Benjamin Verdery and William Coulter. The Point is a production of the Cape and Islands NPR stations, a service of WGBH.